Hey there, good morning. Welcome to Restoration Church. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Andrew, and I'm the Family Ministries Pastor here. And man, I'm so excited that I get the opportunity to preach for you guys today, to, uh, to talk you through, man, just some of the things that God's been doing in my life, that God has been doing in our church, God's been doing in my heart, and today I just get to share with you a little bit of what's going on with me. For those of you who might, this might be your first time, you haven't been here in a while, I just want to let you know where we're at. We're in the middle of a series called Restoration. And so it's talking a little bit about why we call our church Restoration, what the Bible says about Restoration, and how you can find Restoration in all the different areas of your life. And so I'm so excited to to be finishing off this series today and talking you through, man, what, what does Restoration mean? And what does it mean going forward as your life is potentially changed? And hopefully today, it will be changed. So today, We're going to talk about restoration. So I want to start us off with our working definition of what restoration is. And so for me, when I hear that word and when I think about what does it mean to when you find restoration or you have restoration in some way in your life, well, for me, restoration is not looking at something for what it is, but looking at it for what it could be. And so one of the stories that I want to share with you is from Luke And so we're going to read that, and then we're going to talk about what that means in in this context of restoration. So this is Jesus talking as he's telling a story about what it means to uh, come to know who he is and come to find out and explore the possibility of him being your savior. And so he says in Luke 15, kind of explaining to people what it means and how, how you react when you find out how much he cares for those who are lost. It says, Luke 15, 8, or suppose a woman who has 10 silver coins and loses one, won't she shine, won't she light a lamp and sweep the entire house and search carefully until she finds it? And then when she finds it, she will call in her friends and neighbors and say, rejoice with me because I have found my lost coin. In the same way, there's joy in the presence of God's angels, even when one sinner repents. And so I want to get at at a deeper principle here that that I kind of see. And it's this idea that when this woman loses the coin, when she loses it and misplaces it, no longer is her house just an empty house. Instead, it's a place of potential. She looks at the empty house and she says, there's more value here than is on the surface. So as she's searching, she realizes that she can't leave the house, she can't abandon it, she can't walk away from it, because there's still value to be found in it. There's restoration that is still coming and to happen. So uh, my wife, I I love her. She's one of the greatest people, probably the greatest person in in my life, definitely the greatest person in my life. Uh, She's the greatest person in my life, and one of the things... That, that is unique about her, and that it's one of those things that in our relationship, you know, it's one of those things where I have to not roll my eyes at her. Uh, she loves to go yard sailing, and she loves to go to antique fairs. Those are her two favorite things to go to. And for me, when we go and we look at all this stuff, I look at this vast sea of junk, and she looks at a vast sea of potential to bring into our household. And so often my wife will will look and she'll be like, oh man, couldn't we use one of these? And I'm like, no, we can't use that automatic egg peeler that's broken. I don't know how to fix it. 
But she, she'll look at these things and, and she'll bring, and a lot of times she'll be like, man, look at this, look at this deal. And one of the things that she brought and she actually regrets now that uh, she found for like 25 bucks a leather like double recliner that we were able to, that we were able to pick up for 25 bucks. And it became my favorite seat in our entire house. I love this leather recliner. She hates it now. She absolutely hates it because it's one of those ones where it's two recliners attached to each other, but you can't sit next to each other. So anytime I sit on it, she looks at me and says, don't you love me? Why don't you want to sit next to me? We have a couch. Will you cuddle me? I'm like, no, I'm using the potential you brought into our household. This is, <laughs> this is my recliner. Uh, but I love this recliner, but, but the reality is I would have never found it because I don't search for potential in the same way that she does. I don't search yard sale sites. I don't go to antique fairs. I don't go to yard sales and look for this and find the potential that's there. I'll oftentimes overlook it. And because of that, I miss out on opportunities that I could use in my life. And so I try and shift my framework in so many ways. And so one of the things that I am is I, I'm the youth pastor and the family ministries pastor. So I oversee our children's ministry and I oversee our youth ministry. And the reason I do that is because I remember when I was a teenager, someone looked at me and said, you have potential to be something one day and didn't look at me for what I was, but for what I would be. And I, the only reason I'm standing up here is because someone said to me, you have a gift, you have ability, and I don't care what you are now. I see something in you. And so I know as the family ministries pastor that one day some of those three-year-olds are going to be up here preaching, and one day some of those five-year-olds are going to be the ones praying for me, and some, one day some of these teenagers are going to be the ones leading other teenagers to know who God is. And so I look at every area of my ministry not as what it is, but as what it could be. And I think that's the heart of restoration is, is the idea that we don't look at this world in, in how it is. We don't look at its brokenness. We don't look at where it's failed, but we look at it instead and say, God, where is there an opportunity for you to use me? And so we all have to live that restoration life. You think of that woman looking through, combing through her house, searching endlessly. She realizes there's something that could be. She may have nine coins, and for many people, that may be good enough. But she says, no, I want the one that is lost. I want it to be restored to me. I want something more. I want a bigger future. And so we have to take that mentality when we think of restoration. Those of you who have parents, you know what this is like. You're sitting there, you're thinking, one day, you're not going to poop on me anymore. One day, you're not going to yell at me. One day, you're going to do something greater than I ever did. And that's the heart of restoration. And so as we cap out this series and we begin to end it, we have to kind of get to the, to the, to the like, what happens when the restoration is over? You know, if you've ever undertaken a household project or redone a house or fixed up a car, you know that at some point, the restoration kind of ends. It finishes. But I, I want to shift the way you think about this because I don't think restoration ever ends. I think restoration requires upkeep. Restoration is never over. One of my friends, he, he works in a firehouse, and he told me this amazing story that their firehouse, one of the things that they do is they hire on sort of um, 
like parolees. So uh, people who are on parole and, and they need to be doing community service, the firehouse takes them on and, and they do work for the firehouse to work off their community service. And, and he, had, he used to have a fire chief who, was, uh, who liked things done a very certain way and, and liked things to look spotless and perfect. And, and so these guys, every time they would come into the firehouse, they would paint. That would literally be all they would do is they would paint. And so one day he finally asked me, he's like, guys, all I see, I've been here for eight months at this point, and all I see you do is paint. How much painting does it take to finish this firehouse? And they're like, oh, you don't understand. We've restarted painting three times in the last eight months. He's like, what? It's like, yeah, once we finish painting everything, we go back to the first place and start painting all over again. He said one time he even noticed that they were standing there painting and they didn't even have paint on their rollers. They were just pretending for the day because they had to paint so often and so consistently. And, and I think this is kind of the idea of restoration. Like you should upkeep, you know, when restoration happens in your life, when your family's changed, when your life is changed, when you're transformed, there, there's a process that you have to undertake of, I'm going to continue to maintain this, but... I think you can become overzealous in it. And so this is when you find yourself in love with the restoration process more than the restoration product. And so this, this is, as I tried to think of it and contextualize it to our circumstances, this is the father who works too much for his family. So he's gone all the time. He, he says, I want my family to be provided for. I want them to know that I love them and, and I want them to, to feel like they're financially stable and they don't have to worry. But in the process, he neglects his family. He's saying, I remember being poor and I don't want my kids to ever go through those circumstances again. So I'm going to work extra hard so that they don't understand, what, so that they never feel the feelings I felt of, of a hungry belly going to bed. But in the process of that, he falls in love with the restoration process and neglects the children who need a father. And I think we can undertake that in different areas of our life if we, if we overvalue these things in our life that are like, hey, this is going to help us achieve something, but we never take a moment to appreciate the product. I think there's another end to this as well, though. Uh, it, 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 when I was younger, my dad, he, he drove uh, limos for a limo company. That was one of his side jobs that he would do to, to bring in a little extra income for our family. And, and one of the greatest things, so all growing up, you know, I thought my dad was the coolest person in the world because he'd show up at our house with a limo. And so all of us, like, you're a six-year-old and you look out the window and there's your dad and you get to ride around the block in a limo. Like, I thought it was the coolest thing in the world. And one of the things that he would do is, is sometimes he would take us to the garage where the limo was stored. And I think about the time I was 12 or, or 13, uh, he took me out to the garage, and, and as, I pulled, as we pulled in, I was searching around it, because it was massive, it was a massive garage, there was something like 20 vehicles in it, and, and so I'm just like walking around as he's cleaning up the limo and, and taking care of it and, and all that stuff. And, and so I, I start to look around and search, and, and one of the things I notice is I notice in the very back of the garage, there's a really nice car. And so I go and, and I begin to search. And, and listen, I'm not a car guy. If I touch an engine, it explodes. I don't know anything about vehicles. But they had in this garage a mint condition 1969 
cherry red Chevy Nova. And it was gorgeous. It was one of the most beautiful vehicles I've ever seen. Like, it became my dream car in that moment when I saw it as a 12-year-old because I was like, man, I didn't know cars could be that cool. But I noticed something. I walked over to it, and I put my finger on it, and a layer of dust came off as I touched it. So in that moment, I realized this car was someone's restoration project, but it had been abandoned and forgotten. It had been left to gather dust. And so for me, as a 12-year-old, and thinking to myself, how could you ever let a car this nice just sit in a garage for year after year? Someone poured their heart and soul into making this car beautiful. And here it is, just sitting there, doing nothing. And this is the scary thing that can happen in the restoration processes, is we forget how our lives were changed. We forget what God has done for us. We forget some of the things that we've overcome, the circumstances that we no longer have to go through. And so I'm going to read you James 1.14, and we're going to talk about that. It says, temptation comes from our own desires, which entice us and drag us away. These desires give birth to sinful actions. And when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. So don't Be misled, my dear brothers and sisters. Whatever is good and perfect is a gift coming down from us to us from God our Father, who created all the lights in the heavens. He never changes or casts a shifting shadow. He chooses to give birth to us by giving us his true word. And we, out of all creation, became his prized possession. See, I think sometimes when we're in the midst of a restoration project, we forget that God is gifting us. And so as I was thinking about something this week, I began to like shift and and think through it in my head. You know, why sometimes do I pray? Why do sometimes I talk to God and ask for, you know, resources or or compassion or, or help or strength? And I'm like, God, why don't you just answer me instantly? And I think one of the things that shifted in me was I realized, man, maybe the process of waiting is the greatest gift God could ever give me. The process of having to go and, 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 and work and, and wait and pray and push is the, oh, the only reason I would do that is because God doesn't give it to me instantly. And so I think about the situation where this car is sitting in the back of that garage, maybe even to this day. Man, if I had the money to go out and buy it instantly, I would never appreciate it. And so the people who had this car, you know, they, had, they were wealthy. They owned limo driving companies. They had multiple vehicles. And so this vehicle that is of the utmost value to me as a 12-year-old is worthless to them because they never strove for it. It was easily handed to them. And so often as we try to overcome the restoration process and go through it, we wonder, God, why, why on earth do I have to go through this? Why, why are my circumstances feel like more than I can handle? And it's actually God preparing you and teaching you and growing you and allowing you to understand on a deeper level, man, I never would have appreciated the gift you had for me unless I had waited. 
See, I suffer from a, a condition I would like, I, I think of as like temporary passion. And so I think it's, I think it's, uh, I think it's uh, through my heritage, I think it's genetic because I think my dad suffers from the same thing. And what this means is, and some of you might relate to this, where I'll be really passionate about a house project for exactly one afternoon. And so it's like, man, like I'll look at something in the house or I'll look at like something that needs to be fixed. And for exactly one afternoon, man, I go at it 100%. But then I go to bed, and the next day I just leave it. And, you know, it just falls onto the long list of do-it-later chores. So my dad, you know, one of the things that at my house, um, we have a garage at my my parents' house. And so our garage roof kind of began to collapse. And so it was like we were looking out at it one day, and as we were standing there, we could see literally the roof had, like, started to cave in. And so my, my dad was freaking out. He's like, all right, well, we got to take care of this. We got to fix it. So I think for one weekend, my dad went, I think this was last summer, my dad went and tore the entire roof off of our garage. Like there's only beams left there. He tore it off. And one year later, there's still no roof on the garage. See, the reality is, and I am so guilty of this too, like we suffer from temporary passion in the restoration process. You know, for one day, you know, how many of you are like, hey, you know what, starting next week, I'm going to be a morning person. And then next week for one day, you're a morning person. And then Tuesday rolls around. Or maybe you don't even get there. I think this morning I, I was saying to myself, hey, you know what? I need to wake up early. I got to prepare my heart for the message I'm about to preach. I'm going to get up at 5 a.m. 6.30, I rolled out of bed. <laughs> the reality is we get passionate about things for only a moment. We, we pursue these things with, with our temporary passion saying, man, I can do this. I, I'm so excited. I'm so pumped up. God's doing something in my life. God's healing my family. God's changing my perception of my world. Man, I'm so excited. But then the next day rolls around. It begins to fall apart. And we lose that temporary passion. And so when I say maybe the greatest gift God is giving you is not granting your prayers is a reality that you have to build up stamina. You have to build up desire. You have to build up yourself. So when he finally gives you the gift, he finishes the restoration project, you won't neglect it. You won't leave it in the back of a garage just sitting there, gathering dust. One of my friends, he was a a long-distance runner, and um, one of the things he talked about was, I asked him, because he lived right across the street from me, and I would see him running, like, all day. He'd run for hours, and I'd see him run up and down our street, and, and I finally asked him, I was like, hey, man, like, I think running is the worst invention of all time. Why on earth do you do it so much? And how do you do it so much? And he, he told me, he started to tell me a story about what it was like being him and, and running. And he said, you know, I started running long distance about a year and a half ago. I was like, that, that's awesome. And he said, you know, at first I couldn't, I, you know, I wouldn't, I would run. It would be incredibly painful. Like, obviously my legs hurt. So me, um, one of those other moments in my life where I decided to have temporary passion was 
uh, I started working out for like one week and like I couldn't walk anywhere anymore. And so I was like, well, I guess this isn't God's gift for me. Uh, you know, I got to be able to move. So he must not want me to work out. But he was like, yeah, you know, I felt that. I went through that process of, of pain. But, but one day, you know, after I began to build up stamina and stuff, I went for a 10-mile run. And on this 10-mile run, uh, my legs started to really burn. But I decided I'm good, I was going to run up a mountain. And so in, in my hometown, so my hometown's right here, and right here there's a mountain that's about, it's like a mile and a half, two-mile run up to the top of it. I mean, it's one of those things where when you're coming down it in the winter, you have anxiety because it's so steep and so terrifying. And you're going around these twists and turns. And he said, I decided to run up that mountain, despite my, the fact that my legs were burning. And so he ran two miles up this mountain. And he said he just, he remembers the whole process, the pain he felt in his legs, the agony, the horror. And he finally got to the top. And at the top, he just celebrated. And he said after that day, his legs never hurt again when he ran. Never once did it hurt. And I believe him because he ran a marathon. He never felt the pain of running up that mountain again. He never felt the pain of running again. He, he pushed into this process. He pushed into something more. He pushed into something farther than he'd ever had before. And oftentimes, that might be exactly what you need to do to achieve the end of the restoration project that you're searching for. So you might say, you know, my family, I need to fix my family. I need to heal my family. I need to make my kids love me again. I need to make our, our marriage good. The reality is, it's not about how well you do when the circumstances are easy. It's about how well you do when the circumstances push against you. The true restoration of your heart, the true restoration of your family, the true restoration of even your house doesn't happen when it's easy. It happens when it's most difficult. You have to push through the obstacles that are in your life. And it's only then that you'll find that a restoration process has happened to you. Look at what it said in James. It says, temptation comes from our own desires, which entice us and drag us away. You're on a journey. You're on a path. You're, you're going down and finding circumstances. And there's going to be constant pull to go the wrong direction. There's going to be constant tearing you away from where you're supposed to go. See, but God has a plan and a purpose for you that's bigger than you can ever imagine. And it's, it's, it's insidious the way that we're pulled from what it is we're supposed to pursue. Man, God has a plan for you. He has a plan for purpose. Even today, the restoration process in your life can begin. It can begin right now. It can begin in 10 minutes. And it's not necessarily easy all the time. But it's always worth it. See, one of the things that I found is that restoration is yours forever. When you finish a restoration process, it's going to be yours for all time. And this analogy won't line up perfectly, so bear with me as I tell it to you. But it's a story from, uh, from Indianapolis. So in Indianapolis, there was an armored truck driving down 
the interstate. And for whatever reason, this armored truck was not locked properly. So imagine this, driving down the interstate, and all of a sudden, the doors of an armored truck fly open right in front of you. And approximately $500,000 in cash flew out of this armored truck onto the highway. So what happened next, I'm sure you can guess, is mass chaos began to unfold. People were pulling over and jumping out of their car, grabbing hundreds and twenties, stuffing them in their pocket, hopping back into the vehicle. They even said there was one pickup truck that pulled over to the side of the road and grabbed a literal bag of money and threw it into the back and began to drive away. So I was, when I read this story, I was absolutely like, I thought it was the most hilarious thing ever. Like $500,000 cash on the side of the road. And then one of my favorite things is at the very end of the video, a police officer comes on and he says, listen, if you took this money, you need to give it back. How dare you take this? This is, this is stealing. This is wrong. We're, we're going to catch you. We're going to find you. We're going to take this money back. And so, like, the non-Christian me, like, is, like, laughing. So I'm like, there's no way, like, I would ever give that money back. And, and I'm saying, like, you know, if you, if you take money off the side of the road, you should probably give it back. But I think this is how the enemy operates in our life so often. When God blesses us, when God gives us a gift, when God gives us restoration, he'll tell us we don't deserve it. He'll tell us we haven't earned it. He'll say to us, you have to give it back. You have to give up what God has given to you. Man, but here is the reality. You don't ever have to give back the blessings that God has given to you. When you hear that whisper, when you hear the enemy telling you, you don't deserve this. You shouldn't hold on to this. Your family doesn't love you. Your spouse doesn't have your best interest at heart. You need to realize that God has blessed you with a restoration. You know, when you sit here and I talk to people after they've just come to know who God is and they're like, I just don't think that I deserve it. I don't think I'm worth it. I don't think I should have it. God is saying to you, I have given you something you can't even begin to imagine. Don't give it up. Don't let the process of saying, don't let that, that thing that God has changed in your life, whether it be your marriage, your family, your your anger issues, you know, keep pressing for it. Don't let it end. Restoration requires upkeep. But here's the reality. Don't ever let the enemy tell you you have to give back what God has given you. Man, I don't think those people are ever going to be caught with the money that they were given. There's no way to chase them down. There's no way to track them down. 
They're going to, you know, good for them. They're going to roll in blessings maybe that they didn't earn. But see, that is the heart of what God has for you. See, it says in the end of James, we out of all creation became his prized possession. When Jesus died for you and for me, we didn't earn it. It's like a bag of money flying down the road and landing right in front of us. We didn't earn it. We didn't deserve it. But we have a God who loves us, a God who pursues us, a God who chases us, and who gives us every blessing that we don't deserve. So when you're in the restoration process, as you come to find out that you're slowly fixing your family, you're slowly healing what was broken, you're slowly taking care of everything that you have, man, realize God has a bigger purpose and a bigger journey for you. If you bow your heads with me, God, we thank you for being a part of the restoration process in our lives. We thank you for what you've done to heal us, for what you've done to change us, God. Let us never neglect what it is that you have done. Let us never give up what it is that you have for us. God, we thank you for who you are. In your name we pray, amen. We're going to take a minute, and the band is going to play. And as you sit here, I want you to think about a couple things. I want you to think about the fact that there's something in your heart, something in your life that can be restored. It might be your family. It might be your finances. It might be your friendships. It might be your relationship with your parents. There's something God wants restored for you. I want you to think about it, man, what God, God, what is it that you want to restore in my life? And then I want you to think, man, maybe you don't even know who God is. Well, in this moment, he wants to restore his relationship with you. So I encourage you to do that. And after today, think to yourself, God, I am never going to be the same. I will never be the same. And this isn't going to be like when I decide to become a morning person. This isn't going to be like when I decide to do my next house project and then abandon it a week later. This isn't going to be like when I decide to fix up my car and then leave it just broken down. I am never going to be the same after today again. The band's going to play. And I want you to think that and pray that.